are continuing in the life of David here, in the life of David. And so if you want to get your Bibles or smartphones there, and the scriptures are going to be up on the screens here. And what we're going to talk about is three ways that David changed the world. Three ways that David changed the world here. And uh, we're going to finish next week. And uh, again, if you've missed any of these, all the messages are online, so you can listen to them, you know, for free, forever, okay? So they're there. But today we're going to look at David's life, and uh, uh, I just want to remind us, you know, the, the thrust of the series has been this, is after God's heart, after God's heart. So I want to take uh, just a moment to review, and then we'll jump into the message this morning. So what is the win in your life? Like, the, the ultimate win in your life, what would that be? Well, I would suggest to you that it's when you have a heart like David's after God's heart. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, if you want to look at the screens here, says this, And David said about him, I've found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. And so if you're here this morning, and, um, and I get it, you know, people are, you know, maybe just new to church, you're checking out church, not sure what you think about church, others you've been around church, you're a Christ follower. For, for the Christ follower here, this is how you define the win, is that you would be a person, a young adult, a man, a woman, you know, a student after God's heart. That's the win there. Six words define the win. What I want to Uh, unpack for a moment is this, is that I get it that it's a bit of a paradox. It's a bit of a paradox in culture, and here's why. Because when you use the word, like, man and heart, like, they don't necessarily connect all the time, you know. Like, men, you know, don't, aren't necessarily emotional, you know. They're not, not necessarily, uh, you know, sensitive and all that. So a man, after God's heart, you know, like, how do you work that out? And I want to suggest to you that I think God has a little bit of a different design than maybe you got from your father or your grandfather or that we get from culture. God has a different design here. In other words... It's okay to be a man and still have a heart for God. It's okay to be those two things here in the economy of God. In other words, it's okay to be open to God and sensitive to God and connected to God and alive to God and be strong and be masculine as a man here and sensitive to God's voice here. So I want to show you uh, 1 Samuel 16, 18, and just unpack again who David is for us. It says this, uh, before he was, uh, when he was going to be uh, uh, ordained king. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. He pretty much checks all the boxes. And so I just want to say this to us this morning. Is it like wherever you land in your life, you could really connect with and relate to David. Uh, Let me show you that. Because see, he's on one hand, he's a musician. He's a very gifted musician, world-class songwriter there. Uh, uh, But then also, he's not just like the musical type, but he's got like this military background. And so 2 Samuel chapter 8 is dedicated just to all the military victories that he had there. So he's a musician, but he's also like like Purple Heart Award, you know. He's that guy. He's like, he's a warrior, you know. He's fearless, and he is ferocious. And so uh, he writes in Psalm 23, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down by still waters. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So there's like, there's this fearlessness about him here. And then on the other hand, he writes, you know, much of, of the Psalms uh, there in the Old Testament there. And so like, he's like this worshiping guy that like is going to CrossFit. You know what I'm saying? He's like, he is. He's the guy that's driving a CrossFit singing worship songs or led worship the night before. And then that night he's fighting MMA, fighting UFC. And he would have beat Max Holiday uh, to, to, so anyway, uh, bless. So, and then after all that, he's handsome and good looking. Here's the kicker. And the Lord is with him. He's all that, and the Lord, and he's spiritual here. And, uh, and when, his, when his wife uh, saw David dancing before the Lord, you know, and he's like the king, and he's in his skivvies there, and she says to him, she says, oh, isn't the king, isn't the king, you know, dignified today? And, uh, and he says to her, oh, babe, check it out. He says, the king will even get even more undignified than this. You know, he was that guy. And so uh, he was a leader. He was like uber intelligent. You know, he's brave. He's bold. He's, he's fearless. You know, he kills a lion. He, he kills a bear, you know, with a sling, you know, uh, the chosen uh, weapon of the day there for him. Uh, he was lethal with that there. He was skilled. He's a poet. He's an artist, you know. And then he's got this sensitive side here. But we see he's not some psalm writing pushover. He's ferocious. And uh, uh, he's a mighty man. And then David had his mighty men that he hung with. I mean, these were his homeboys. These guys are animals. They are, they're fierce men. And so, so all that to say this is that David, a man after God's own heart, he's a man's man. And your life could be summed up, you know, as being, you know, a man after God's own heart and still be the strongest man on the team. You could still be the sharpest one in the office, the hardest working, the best at closing the deal, you know, uh, the most ferocious and intense there and still be a man after God's own heart. Okay. So there you have it. That was good. And so, so if you want to pull out your notes there, pull out your notes. And so we're going to begin here. That was a review. And uh, basically, uh, we have three things here for you this morning. And uh, we're going to talk about how David changed the world. And what was it about David that changed the world? There are specific things about him that you can point to and say, oh, that's why, you know, he is the great King David. That's why he changed the world. That's why he changed the world. And that also is the way, reason he changed the world. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So first of all, we're going to look at David as speaking words to his son, Solomon. And David now is on his deathbed. This is it for him. He's going to die. So these are the very last words distilled out of his breath, delivered to his son Solomon there, who would carry on the kingdom there. So, but David is not only speaking words to Solomon, he's speaking words to us. He's speaking words to us this morning. So this is not just uh, David's words to Solomon. These are God's words to us here. And so wherever you land, you need need to hear this here. And so the last words are life-changing. They are trajectory-bending. They are destiny-altering words. These are words that you want written over your own life. And so number one in your notes, uh, your words change the world. Your words change 
your world. It says in Proverbs 18.4, their person's words can be life-giving water. It says in Proverbs 18, that life and death, life and death are in the power of your tongue there. So First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 19, Solomon says to his son, Now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. He's saying, look, this is what God would say to you. What is he saying to you? Seek God, devote yourself to God with all your heart here. And now, I know it's Christmas time. And I was just thinking about this. You know, this, this wouldn't be bad to, to put to ink for some people here. And so if you're thinking about a scripture that you want to give to yourself for Christmas and get a tattoo, this is a tattoo right here. I'm serious. It's a tattoo right here. Now seek the Lord, your God. Because sometimes, you know, we need to be reminded of that. And you can look at yourself and say, oh, yeah, there it is. Now seek the Lord, your God, with all your heart, Rod, and all your soul. So don't leave here and light up social media and say, oh, the pastor said, go get tattoos, everybody. I said, if you're thinking about a scripture, it's a good scripture right here. So because we always need to remember this, we always need to remember this here, that to pursue God as, as a way of life with, with all your heart. You know, chase after him and follow him. You know, with all your heart here in your notes there. Pursue God with all your heart. And then also in your notes, and put God first. Put him first in your lifestyle. As just a way of living, everything you do, always putting God first there in everything. And so, what does that look like? You put him first in school. You honor God in the midst of school there. One of the ways that I did this when I was a student, you know, is, uh, you know, you have all this homework and you're overwhelmed with homework. And I would just peel out, you know, every hour or so and then the library there and just crack open the scripture and read a psalm. And then back to work, you know, and just keeping him first or whatever it was, just keeping God first in your relationships, keeping him first in every area of your life, keeping him first in your employment, in your decisions, in your choices, in your marriage, in your work there, in your family, keeping him first in just how you show up, you know, how you show up, you know, and life's exceedingly important, just keeping him first in just and how you show up in life there. So David then says more of his last words to his son in First Chronicles chapter 28, 9 and 20, if you want to look on the screens here. And he says, and Solomon, my son, what great advice to his son as he's, as he's leaving this planet. Learn to know the God of your ancestors, how? Intimately, worship and serve him with a half heart, with your whole heart and a willing mind. If you seek him, you're going to find him, but you got to seek him. And then he says, be strong. It's a call to grow in strength. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and discouraged, you know. For the Lord your God, my God, this is personal, Solomon, not just any God, not the God of the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and the Mosquitoites. This is my God is with you. He, this is what I want you to know about God. If you follow him, he'll never fail you or forsake you. What great advice that a father could give a son. And so he says in your notes there, know God intimately. In other words, Solomon, I want you to walk closely with God. This is what God wants for all of us here, that we would be intimate, his intimates, that we would walk closely with God. And then he says, says, serve him with a whole heart. Serve him with everything that's within you. So uh, build a, a heritage, you know, a legacy there of serving God and, and do what he says. And so he says, know God. In other words, know God personally, not like 
ethereal, abstract God, you know, out there. No, no, no. You can know God personally here. You come alive to God today through Jesus, and, uh, and this is the Christian life. This is it. This is center. This is the bullseye to know God. Paul said when he wrote the church at Philippi, he talked about all the amazing things that he had done and that he was. And he said, um, but those things that were, that were gained in me, I count as loss. And I count the, all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but refuge or garbage. And then he said this, and that, okay, I'm putting all that aside, all the religious stuff in my life I put aside. He says, that I may know him. That's it, that I may know him. So Solomon then is hearing from his, his dad, David. David, or Solomon, know God. Okay, and so serve God, know him intimately. And so and then he says, he's with you. Solomon, you need to know this. God, this is what God is like. He's a with you kind of God. He's not an out there kind of God. He's not a distant kind of God. He's a with you kind of God here. And you're going to need him to be with you, Solomon, because you're going to face insurmountable challenges and unbelievable challenges uh, when you take the throne. You're going to need him to be with you here. And he's a God who draws near to you. And so, and then he says, uh, he says, and worship him. Worship him. And so he says, look, Solomon, my son, be a man who worships God. Be a man who worships God here. And so with his words, remember, he's blessing. See how, how he's, he's, uh, he's speaking words of life, life-changing words over his son there, and the same words being spoken over us. And so he says, look, be a worshiper of God. In other words, this is what that looks like. Okay, it means you respond to God. You live in you live in this uh, uh, reacting and, and respond to God. So you respond to all that God is. Okay, and you can learn about all that God is just reading the scripture and the stories about Him. Okay, respond to all that God is and all that God has done with all that you are. Now, think about it. Think about it. Okay, so some people think, well, you know what? There's such a disconnect, uh, I think, sometimes in, in America, in church world. And so we just, you know, like, what does that look like? Okay, think about your football team. Okay, all football fans, clue in. What do you do with your team? You respond to your team. All your team has done. And all your team uh, is with all that you are. And what do you do? You clap, you shout, you scream, you jump up and down, you tailgate parties, you raise your hands. Okay, see, we get that in that world that, that you're responding to your team, all your team is, and all that your team has done with all that you are. Okay, when they, when they, they score the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, you know, you don't go, oh, that was really cool, you know. <laughs> no, you're like, yeah, my team, you know. Say, so, okay, that's worship. Worship is responding to God. All that he is, all that he has done, with all that you are. So worship, he says, worship God is, is this, uh, David's words of Solomon. And then I also want to look uh, another last, last psalm that he ever wrote uh, about his life here. And he, expanding on that, seeking God, worshiping God with all your heart. Psalm 63, verse 1 and uh, 3 through 5. Again, the scriptures are on the screens there. He says, O God... You are my God, 
And I earnestly search for you. Watch. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in a parched and weary land where there is no water. Your unfailing love is better than life. And in your name, I will lift up my hands, responding to you, God, and all that you are. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods and singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So he's saying this, look, there's no thirst. There's no thirst uh, that can be quenched other than, uh, than what God can do in my heart and my soul here. He's saying like, look, there's no water in this world. There's no water in this world that can quench the thirst of my soul, is what he's saying here. And you know, you can think of those times, you've been crazy thirsty. All you can think of is getting some water there. And David is saying this, he's saying this, like, look, that's how I live my life with a thirst for God all the time there. And so it says, you know, when you're thirsty, you're driven to water. He says, so as a way of life, you know, I'm like driven to God, you know, to drink of the, of the thirst uh, that's in my soul that only God can satisfy, that, uh, that no one else can satisfy. And so I like to think of it this way. When he says here, uh, you're the one, you are the one uh, that uh, fully satisfy me as with the richest of foods here. He's saying this, there is a hole in my soul that only God can fill. And no amount of success, no amount of power, no amount of money, no amount of relationships, no amount of pleasure can fill that hole because it's a God-shaped hole. And only God can fill the hole. And so it is a hole designed by God to be filled only by God. And so we search and, and, and we're, we're always trying to fill that void that God himself is designed to fill there. And so, uh, so that is how he satisfies your soul. And so he says, it's more important than a feast, you know, of all feasts here. And it literally, in the original language in Hebrew, it means, uh, it means fat uh, with fat. In other words, uh, uh, it's like the greatest uh, you know, you go on a diet, and I'm a little bit of a diet here because I got a test I got to take, and I don't want to mess it up here. And so I'm kind of holding back a little bit, you know, holding back a little bit on the fat out there. You know what I'm talking about? And so, uh, so this week, uh, I, I, I went into a store, and I saw the scones. You know what I'm talking about behind the counter there? And there are the scones. There's a blueberry, and there's a strawberry. And it's like the scones are talking to you. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you're thinking about what you're going to order, you know, and you know you want that scone. You know what I'm talking about? I'm dying for the scone. I just want to eat the scone. And uh, it's like, you're having a moment. You know what I'm talking about? You're having a moment. Am I the only one? Thank you. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. And you're having a moment with the scone there, but I, I passed up on the scone. And David is saying this, like, like everything in life, you know, is better with fat and sugar. Come on. Come on, somebody. Come on. Everything in life is better with fat and sugar. And David is saying, you know what? When it comes to my soul, you're better than that. That's what David is saying. He says, you're better than that. You, like, this will satisfy. I want to eat this right now. This would satisfy me. Okay? David is saying, in my soul, you satisfy me more than fat and fatness. So that's what he was saying there. And that's what he's saying to his son there. And so his words there, absolutely blessing his son. And so moving on here, how do you change the world? You change the world with your words. Your words have the, have the, the power of life and death. 
David changed really the very life of his son Solomon there, speaking these words into his life. Secondly here, we're going to see here that you change the world really, really with your generosity. Your generosity changes the world. This is so great. This is so exciting here. And so now, what did David want? What did David want uh, most in his life? What did he want most for his people? What do you think that he wanted? There's something David wanted for his people more than anything else in his life, and it led him to do the very first thing he did when he was uh, uh, enthroned with power as king. And this is what he did. He brought the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box covered in gold, and that represented God's presence. Like, God dwelled in that box there. So the first thing he did is he, because God was like out there in the minds of the people. God was like distant in the minds of the people. (coughs) Excuse me. So what he did is he brought the the Ark of the Covenant to dwell right there in the middle of the people, the city of Jerusalem there, that the presence of God would be at the very center of their life. So watch, David leverages his position and his power here to get the Ark of the Covenant there and put it at the very center of the city of Jerusalem so then the people would begin to experience life with God at the center of their life. So literally, David goes out and gets the presence of God and brings it into the middle, the center of people's lives there. And the reason he did that is for generations, God was seen as out there and distant, you know, and the God of, you know, all the ites out there. So he says, no, 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 no. We're going to bring him to the very center of our life here. So David brings the presence of God to the very center of people's lives. And it changed everything. Change, change how they related to one another. Change their lifestyles. Change their identity. Change their marriages. Change the way they did business with one another. It changed everything when David did that. Brought revival. And the people then were becoming the types of people that God wanted them to be. Because now God's presence is at the very center of their existence. So what did David want? I just gave you the answer. David wanted what? God's presence. The center of the people there. But now he wants to make it permanent, right? He wants to make it permanent. We can't just have this temporary tent thing going on here. We have to make this permanent to have God's presence at the center of people's lives. He says, I'll build God a temple. That's what I'll do. I'll build God a temple, the the grandest temple that's ever been built uh, in the existence of the world, Solomon's temple. But God says, no, David, you're not the man because you're a man of war. You're a man sheds blood. You can't do it. But your son, he'll do it. So what does David do in the very last season of his life? The last thing that he does here, okay, he's an older man here. And this is so challenging and so encouraging. Your notes number two, your generosity changes the world. In First Chronicles 29, watch what he says. Watch this. I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. David said, I'm all in. Look at his generosity. Okay, of gold and silver to help in the construction. Not only that, he gave the iron for the nails. He gave, the Bible says he gave more cedar trees than can be numbered. More, more um, um, iron than can be weighed. A million um, units of silver. And so, um, so then it says, look at the result. How, look at the response. Then all the people gave willingly. The people rejoiced over the offerings that they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. Watch what he says. But who am I? 
But who am I? Well, uh, for starters, like, you're the king. Like, you're different than everybody else. In that day, kings were deified. You were deified as a king there, like Caesar, you know. He was known as a god, you know. And that, now that's how they were elevated there. But David, he's so humble. He says, look, I've done all this, but, but really, who, who am I, you know, that I do this? Well, you're the king here. And, uh, and you earned every penny of it. David was brilliant, you know, uh, brilliant, you know, with the ability to earn money. And so, uh, uh, and so, but he doesn't play that card. He doesn't go, you know what, God? It all came from me and came from my hard work and all that. No, nothing at all. See, this is a model to how we are to give. Now look at verse 14 on the screens. Everything we have is from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. See, that's what it's like when you give to God. Think, man, I worked so hard for this. It's all about me. Here, the reality is this. The reality is you only give to God what God has given to you. Because he gave you the strength, the mentality, the mind, the ability, the capacity, everything you have. God gave that to you to earn that income. So when you give back to God, you're saying, God, I'm acknowledging it's all from you. And David here sets the example really for all time here. And so it says, God, you gave me the ability to earn money. And all that I have, it's a gift from you, God. It's all a gift from you. And I can only give to you because you've given to me. So, and that's like why we give us acknowledging that every good and gift, perfect gift comes from God there. And so, and so how much do you think that David gave? Any idea? How many people think it was in the hundreds of thousands? How many people, how many people think it was in the, in the millions? How many people think it was in the B billions? It was in the billions. Billions. Some Bible scholars estimate about $5 billion. They can calculate, calculate it to today's value. And so uh, literally the most generous man in the Bible was King David. And so, but what I want to see is this, such an incredible story. Uh, so, um, uh, so because what is the greatest passion of David's life? To have God's presence there uh, in the middle of the people there. And so uh, how is he going to do that? And so he gives to the temple. And after that, David says, hey, who's going to follow my example? I gave $5 billion. And he says to all the people, hey, hey now, now what are you going to do? And then it says the people there, they're inspired to generosity because of David's generosity. And so, and so, uh, and I really believe that that's what God would want to do with us. It's like, look, we're inspired. We want to be outrageously generous like David was generous. And that we would be a people, a community that our generosity inspires other people to be generous too. And I get it. I get it. Totally uh, countercultural here. And so the world, you know, get all you can, can all you get, live that way. It's all for you all the time. You get more. It just must be for you. Well, maybe it's for somebody else. No, it's for you. They tell you it's for you, 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 you. And so, uh, but here's the example of David, the example to us here. And so Solomon then built the temple. Watch this, watch this, watch. This generation, was the greatest generation in the history of God's people in the Old Testament because there is God at the center of people's lives here. 
And so what they did is then they, they built the temple and they celebrated God's love and forgiveness. And then it was possible to have this relationship with God. And the poor were taken care of. And, uh, uh, and, this, and, and, and the nation prospered here. And the whole world took notice. The entire world took notice here. Why? The Queen of Sheba comes, you know. Uh, the world is taking notice. Why? Because they're outrageously generous people here. And so and David wanted, what did David want to be the greatest um, generation? His generation or the next generation? David wanted the next generation. So David, look, watch, David gave $5 billion to something he would never even see. He would never see the temple. But see, it was the people that he cared about that he wanted the next generation to be the greatest generation there. And so his gener- generosity was expressed that way there. So I just want to ask you a question, a personal question. You can think about it. I'm going to ask you now, but think about this question after you leave here. This is your homework. Okay, and so when you, when you think about the measure of a life, okay, uh, ultimately it is understood by one thing. And what is that one thing it is understood by? How much is given away? See, when you die, you don't have any choice. You don't have any choice to give it away. It's all, it just gets given away. But you have a choice while you're living. In the measure of a life, think about it, the greatest people in history, the greatest people are those that gave their life away. Think of Bush. Bush gave a, what, what, a, what a great man that he was. He was a man that gave his life away. Think of Mother Teresa. She gave her life away. See, the greatest people... The, True greatness of life is not, is not measured by how much you die with, but how much you give away while you're still living. And that's what David did. He gave it all away while he was still living there. And so, um, and so um, not even knowing what, what, you know, what the temple was going to uh, look like uh, in his life at that moment there. And so... Sanctuary Church. This is one of the reasons why we do what we do and we are who we are. And that, and that is why, like, we're giving to Zimbabwe. Because um, we want to be generous to orphans that we will never see and can never say thank you. But there's a hundred of them, and those orphans are our orphans. They're our orphans. They're, it's, we're, Zim, we're in Zimbabwe. We're Tapsis from. And so today, if we want to be a part of that journey, want to be a part of that journey, ask Taps, Taps, find out what does it cost for socks. And if you want to be a part of that journey, it's $5 for socks. That would bless an orphan for a whole, you know, a year. Or if you want to bring dinner to them, it would be the one dinner they eat for the whole year like that. It's $10. Or you want to put shoes on their feet, on an orphan's feet, it's $25. Or a blanket to keep them warm, it's $30. Do the whole thing, it's $70. And so I just want us, I just want us to be generous. I want us to be a generous people, outrageously generous. So whatever God, you know, would, would, uh, um, would you know, cause you to lean into, you do that. And so uh, you have offering things in your chairs there. Just put St. Joseph's on it. Put St. Joseph's on it. But $5 would be awesome. You want to do more, you do more there. But uh, it's our opportunity. It's our opportunity to bless, um, to bless. I'm serious about that. Um, you know, a lot of people, we don't, we don't necessarily give because we think, well, I don't have $1,000 or $100. Give $5. Give $5. And you can bless an orphan with socks. That would mean so much to them to an orphan that doesn't have socks. And so, 
um, sanctuary, you're being generous because that's who we are. And so lastly, David, his lifestyle, his lifestyle, number three, changed the world. One of the last things David says is this, Psalm 62, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I'll never be shaken. Find rest all my soul in God alone. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I'll not be shaken. And so notice he says, he alone, he alone, he alone, he alone. Watch, if, you were to, if David were to, to conclude this morning, David would say this to us. I live my life in two seasons. The first season of my life was God alone. God was everything to me. I trusted in him. I looked to him. He provided for me. But then I drifted in my life there. I drifted, and then, and then it was God and. Yeah, it was God, but it was God and. It was no longer God alone. It was I trusted in God to provide, and I trusted in my chariots, and I trusted in God, you know, and my wealth, you know, to provide my security. And yeah, I trusted in God, but and I tr- looked to people for approval. And yeah, I trusted in God here, but I also trusted in pleasure and and happiness. And I began to drift there. And I trusted in God, you know, but I also trusted in my own reasoning to guide me. And if I could summarize my life, David would say, I I live my life in a God alone. You're enough, God. But then I drifted to a God and lifestyle. And my life was much better when I lived God alone. And so I'd like you to just take a moment this morning as we close and think about your own life and think about, you know, where perhaps, you know, are we living that it's God alone? But then, you know, life happens and we get busy and holiday season's upon us. And we kind of drift just a bit to God and fill in the blank. So if we could bow our heads and just bring your own life before God. Bring your own life before God. How am I living? Am I living God alone? Or am I living God and fill in the blank? And Father, this morning I pray that by your grace, by your spirit, by your power, that you would nudge us and call us and woo us, that we would be for you alone. And Father, that you would do what only you could do and go where only you could go and seal in our hearts that we would be God alone people. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.